It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, it's me. Yes, I'm back again. Another week, another podcast, some more e-commerce inspiration for you. In today's episode, I'm catching up with a fashion retailer who has gone from online only to a full omnichannel experience, selling uh, beautiful clothing for a very specific uh, customer demographic. Uh, We're going to talk about deciding where to put shops. We're going to talk about uh, leveraging your brand for huge messages and quite a few other bits and pieces. Uh, I know it's been a good one because I haven't made many notes, which may sound counterintuitive, but I find the best ones, my my sheet of podcast notes is always surprisingly empty because I forget to take notes because I'm listening so intently. Well, this is one of those. Before we get into that though, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 38,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact lists and emails that pop and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. With SEMPRO Online from Pitney Bowes, you can simply print postage stamps and shipping labels even when working remotely. For as low as $4.99 a month, you'll get access to special discounts and save up to 40% off USPS Priority Mail. Plus, for being an e-commerce master plan listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free £10 scale to ensure that you never overpay. That includes being able to schedule package pickups and track shipments from departure to arrival. Go to pb.com forward slash masterplan to access this special offer for a free 30-day trial plus a free £10 scale to get started. That's pb.com slash m-a-s-t-e-r-p-l-a-n to experience savings in your shipping costs with a free trial of SEMPRO Online from Pitney Bowes. And now to introduce today's special guest. Ashley Merrill is the founder and CEO of Lunia, a D2C luxury sleepwear company that's experiencing 200% year-on-year growth. Founded in 2012, they've served over 120,000 customers in the last year. Hello, Ashley. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on the show. Now, um, I've given our listeners a kind of like a very quick uh, overview of of where you are at the moment, but how did you get started in e-commerce? Yeah, so I started, as you mentioned, launched a, or started working on the brand at 2012. Um, I launched about two years later in 2014, and um, I started in in DTC, or actually, you know, more specifically as an online company uh, at that time because I was I knew I was making something that was very unique. I was going to go try to reinvent uh, what had been a, a very traditional antiquated sleepwear world. And in so doing, knew that if I used the traditional channels, like traditional wholesale channels, it was going to be problematic because it was going to be hard to explain um, what I was doing that was so different, you know, how I was investing in design and, and fabric um, and, and trying to really change that experience. 
Was it for you an obvious thing to go e-commerce back in 2014 with this mission? Was there other avenues you considered? So I was sort of an anomaly at the time. It wasn't like I wasn't before the Warby Parkers of the world, but I was early on that online conversation. And so people kept questioning me, why not be in you know our, our big department stores or like a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's or something like this. And um, my choice to only go digital was one that I think a lot of people were struggling to wrap their head around. But it ended up long term, of course, making sense as most businesses now are launched digital first. Yeah, it's interesting because in the intro, I describe you as a D2C business, but that's like a phrase that we've only really used for the last year or so. And it's so it's quite interesting that that now looking back, it seems like it's such an obvious way to start the business, but it doesn't surprise me you came across some resistance early days. Well, it's interesting because D2C is direct to consumer, which is actually something that's been going on for years and years and years, right? It's And it's it's a digitally native direct to consumer brand, which is actually was was more novel. And then now I would say what's more novel is a true omni-channel brand. So brands that are selling through, you know, digitally native environment who are having their brick and mortar, who are also in uh, in uh, wholesale or potentially boutique or um, specialty companies. And that's actually how we are now. When I first heard the phrase D to C, I was like, well, isn't that what we all do anyway? <laughs> it was kind of like, and then it, it, over the last kind of 12 months, you've kind of evolved into this, okay, it's kind of like brand first online retailing. But but let's let's not get hung up in the definition of D to C because we could end up here all day. And I think, I reckon we've probably got more interesting things we could talk about. Uh, let's start off with, with the business as it is now, because you said you've evolved to this omni-channel channel piece. So where in the world are you and where do you sell to? So right now we are actually, um, so we're primarily a U.S. company. We do serve mostly U.S. customer bases, but we have started to dabble in international. Um, and I, I don't know exactly at this point where we're, uh, you know, all the countries that we're in, because actually that is an evolving plan. But I know Canada, I think UK is part of it and a, a handful of other um, international locations. Um but really, our primary presence has begun in the U.S., where we're serving them both online and through wholesale, um, very limited, more boutique wholesale, and through our own brick-and-mortar channels. And how did you decide to go um, both wholesale to physical retail and to have your own physical retail stores? Because that's kind of almost like a, putting yourself in competition with your customers. That's why I'm very careful about how we work with wholesale partners, to be honest, because what I don't want is to start shifting my dollars to them. Um, I, what I'd like to do is be using them as a partner to maybe capture an audience that I'm not directly capturing anyway. And so we're trying to pick partners that we feel like reach a different audience than we do. And so in many cases, we've been successful. In other cases, I will say I've noticed both with, um, you know, a number of popular brands like the Madewells and J. Cruz of the world, they often carry your product and then make a surprisingly similar product once they realize <laughs> it works. And so I've actually noticed this with Goop recently too. So I, I am starting to feel less confident on wholesale because I feel like in some cases they are using you to see if it works. And then if it works, they're kind of uh, borrowing your ideas. 
Yeah, they get to see, do their customers want this product? Oh, look, they do. So why don't we do it ourselves? Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, it's starting to feel like I want to be even more selective with wholesale than we already are. But generally speaking, I think wholesale can be a really nice way to build a business in that it's uh, more of a cost mitigated way. I think one thing people think when they want to build an e-com business is they go, oh, it's so inexpensive to start. I can put up a website using Shopify or Squarespace or whatever it is. And I just need to make a handful of these products and then I can sell them. I can get some Facebook ads running. And you're like, right. But what you don't realize is that if you're building a direct-to-consumer brand, all of your costs are actually on the front end. In order to build something that people feel like is interesting enough that they want to buy it, you're needing photographers, designers. You have to create a brand. Whereas if you're building a wholesale brand, it can be you and maybe one other person in your garage. And actually, the wholesale partner is responsible for driving the customers to your brand. And so where it becomes tricky and suboptimal, in my opinion, is if I'm building both the direct-to-consumer business, where I'm having to you know, build all the competency and infrastructure in order to support a brand, um, and I'm now going to wholesale partners who are going to, you know, where I get diminished uh, revenue from them, and they're going to be competing for my business, because then I'm having both cost centers and not benefiting. Yeah. And you also, of course, when it's in the, you know, when it's a concession in someone else's business, you don't have as much control over the brand, which is core to the D2C growth. Of course, of course. It, it does strike me that that wholesaling and, you know, concessioning in that way is quite a nice way to find out, you know, in the early days, is, days you know, you talked about as you get bigger, they start to potentially create ranges very similar to, to what you're what you're selling via them. But in the early days, it's a great way to almost flip that and to use them as a very cost-effective way to test out the bricks and mortar side of things. Yeah, I think it's true. And I think that's one of the risks you take on when you wholesale with somebody. At the end of the day, it's my job to continue to innovate products so that um, I can continue to improve. And when people try to knock us off, my product still maintains superior. So in some ways that's on us, uh, but it's a real consideration. Mm. Tricky, a tricky balancing act. <laughs> if tricky balancing act doesn't describe what the entire process of running a business <laughs> is like, I don't know what does. Well, yeah, every day, a different tricky balancing oh, act. Totally. Well, look, Ashley, tell us a little bit about the product. Sure. So I actually have two companies. One is Lunia and one is Lago. Uh, Lago is a men's sleepwear brand and Lunia is the female counterpart. Lunia launched first um, and really it came from personal experience. So I was wearing my husband's old clothes around the house, um, wanted to feel like I could be just as comfortable as I was, but not feel like I was just wearing every old item that we owned. Um, and so I thought, what would it look like for me to feel like my best self um, and feel comfortable? And is there a product that solves that need for me? And I couldn't find one. And so that actually was the impetus behind starting Lumia was how could I create a product that solves this challenge that I'm feeling? And then over time, what happened was I realized the possibilities of uh, clothing and fabric innovation and that we could actually design product that is so fundamentally um, distinct for the use case of being in bed or around the home that it would be just so far superior to the other things you've worn before. And that looks like anything from waistbands that don't ride up to you know straps that aren't going to fall off to um, 
flat seam pockets, flat seams in all the right places. I think you have to really understand how people wear these clothes so you understand what the true needs are. Um, and then also on the fabric innovation side, we've been able to create very unique blends. Cool is one of them. Um, Restore is another one. Even our washable silk, which is taking a tried and true product like silk, which is natural thermoregulating, and then making it much more accessible by making it washable. And so we're able to be very function oriented and solve people's problems around the house and in bed by having products that um, can adapt to their specific needs. And was it a, an easy decision to put the men's products on a totally different brand or was that a, a tricky one to call? I mean, it's, it felt obvious in a weird way. We were just so female on Lunia and didn't want to have to dumb down anything we were doing in order to bring somebody else in. Uh, we were having such an amazing direct dialogue with our customer base and we just felt like, wow, to make this also resonate with men, we're going to have to water it down. And that just feels like the wrong move all the way across. And when we knew if we could create a men's brand, not only could we not have to water down Lunia, but we could create something specific to what guys would be interested in and what an amazing opportunity that would be. And I don't mean just in terms of product, though, of course, that's a very core part of it, but in terms of their experience with the brand. So, for example, uh, creating an Instagram page that is much more male-centric or creating a website that is consistent with how men like to shop. So we had a bunch of guys come in and we were asking them what websites they liked and why they liked them, had them look at Lunia's website and give us feedback on it. And one of the things that they said there was, um, oh, just too many words. I want bullets, you know, or let's get more technical. Than, and, and so we actually shifted the way we storytell around product there to speak to what we felt like, you know, the, the feedback from the men really, uh, really told us. And trying to do that on the same website that you'd already created a great experience for women would have just been a nightmare. That's what I felt. And ultimately, when I look at other brands that tried to, that started for one specific gender and then tried to bring in another, it's been hard for them to truly be as successful in that other category. So like Under Armour, I always will think of Under Armour as a male's brand, despite the fact that they make clothes for women. Even Lululemon, I think it was very hard for them and has continually been hard for them to overcome a feminized image. And so, um, and they're nearly 20 years old, you know? So I didn't, I just felt like, why do that? I, I don't need to hide the fact that they're connected. Um, we sort of, we call them partners or whatever, you know, that they, and, and that I think that they can have a relationship, these two brands, but, um, from my standpoint, it's not uh, it's not necessary that they be on the same website. I mean, I'm sure it's easier for your team as well to know who they're talking to and what they're talking about. Absolutely, because it's like you, yeah, you could have different photography on the men's product pages compared to the women's. You have bullets on the men's and not on the women's, but it would just you know it'd be so so hard to try and rem keep remembering that when you're in the same space. Yes, totally. Um, so what platform do you sell on? Are you Shopify, Squarespace, Magento, something else? Shopify. And always since the beginning? Since the beginning, though at the beginning, it was not customary for big companies to be on anything but a custom Magento platform. So we started on Shopify, assuming we would start there and then of course move on to a custom Magento site as we grew. And then what happened is Shopify just continued to evolve at the same speed of our business or or you know, just fast enough that it was in front of our business. 
And so it really never made sense to get off of it. And they're doing a great job solving our needs today. And given you're on Shopify, are there any kind of key widgets or plugins you're in love with? I mean, we use a ton of them, but I'll say, you know, we use Dojo Mojo, Bulk Discounts, uh, Clavio, really just a huge number of them. And, and they've been really awesome. Excellent. There you go, guys. Three great tips for you all. And I'm guessing that there's quite a few of you in your team these days. So how do you, how do you go about kind of structuring the team and do you outsource anything if at all? So the team is largely uh, divided into two groups, though there's a third one that's sort of beginning also. But I would say there's the product development aspect of our business, which would be um, design, technical design, production, merchandising, this kind of an area of the business, allocation. And then the other aspect of the business is largely marketing focus. So that would be the creative, the marketing creative team, the um, brand team, the conversion marketing team, e-com, all that. Uh, the third one, which is beginning to develop now, is more of an admin, which would be like finance, HR, you know, those kind of elements. All those necessary evils. A necessary evil. <laughs> By which I certainly don't mean any of your team are necessary evils, but, but those things you have to get done in a business. Yeah, they're the things that growth has really necessitated. Yeah. And, and so you split kind of the, the marketing part into conversion marketing and brand marketing. Uh, I split it into lots of pieces. I mean, it's got creative, it's got brand, um, and it's got uh, retention and conversion. So. so lots of marketing focus going on then. Yeah. It's again, one of those things that changes with scale. You know, the bigger you get, the more focus you really need to continue to put into the specific areas because each specific area becomes more worthwhile. One way I think about it is I never really focused on um, repeat users when I was running a very small business because my repeat user base was so small that it really wasn't worth hiring a person to try to optimize. As you get bigger and repeat purchases become a very significant piece of your business, you want to hire people to focus on it because there's a lot of optimization and improvements that can happen just there. And a, a big way you've gone about growing your business is not just in the online piece, but getting into kind of the bricks and mortar world. So we've spoken a little bit about concessions and, and wholesaling, but how did you go about working out how to do that? Because in the UK, it's we're quite small. It's fairly straightforward, which cities you may or may not go in. But the US, you're, it's a vast space to work out where to go. What's wonderful is when you have a digital business, you don't have to guess at all. I just literally look up the top selling locations of our product and put stores there. That simple. Yeah. And did you, were you not worried about cannibalization between the two or is that just not something you're, you're considering? Um, it's funny. That is initially what you kind of would think about it. But at the end of the day, they have a synchronicity to them. Like really the two of them play quite well together and create an overall growth that's really valuable. You put a store in an area that you aren't strong and it won't sustain. So you need a store with enough user base that it's going to be safe and do well um, and then attract, create a halo effect, attract new users. I suppose it's a bit like you could do all the social demographic profiling you want about an area. But actually, if you've got human beings there that already buy from you, there's probably more that should. <laughs> exactly. That's what we found to be true. And are you, your, your 
kind of in-house bricks and clicks model. Is that now, is the bricks part now, you know, permanent stores or pop-ups or is it still predominantly on the wholesale side? It's, so wholesale is very, very, very small for us. Um, Brick and mortar is something we're growing into much more substantially than we are with wholesale. And uh, brick and mortar, I would say, um, you know, I'm expecting continued growth out of it. I think it'll, you know, we'll add a number of additional stores. So Ashley, you don't just, or your business is not just about selling people sleepwear. You've kind of leveraged it to do some, some, some bigger messaging out there, I suppose. What, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's been such an amazing platform to have conversations with people. And I think in, in creating a brand, something I never really fully appreciated until I was in it, but is, is that it, you can use a brand as a catalyst to have conversations or perpetuate conversations. And we've done that a number of times in the past. I think on a macro level, what our brand stands for is, is almost the sort of antithesis of the hardcore, your job should be everything, work, work, work type culture, and a move towards what are these other facets of your life that hold incredible importance? And are you giving them the attention that they deserve in order to live like a life that that is fulfilling for you. That's sort of what I would more encapsulate as this macro message. Um, we love, we popularize staying home and, and ditching your plans that you should be doing for things that you want to be doing. Um, but on a, on a more specific level, I think we've taken many opportunities to, to broach interesting topics. Uh, one of them, last Valentine's Day, we, we got into a campaign called I Come First. And, uh, Really, I came aware of some stats around women in the bedroom that were a little bit, uh, a little bit unsatisfactory. To use a funny, <laughs> funny uh, expression here, and when I looked into it, um, a lot of them were just around the lack of female satisfaction in the bedroom, and not just like oh, you know, men should be delivering more or whatnot, but just even their satisfaction with their own sexual practice on their own, you know, and it was sort of the stats that I, and I'm going to try to recall off the top of my head, but it was something like, you know, only 25% of women reach orgasm during, during, uh, sex only and 30% of women experience pain on which it takes them an average of 10 years to tell anybody. And then, and then of even for like self-pleasure, only 30% of women, uh, admitted to, to self-pleasure. And I thought, you know, what does that say about us? And and maybe we should, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about to have sex or not to have sex. And I thought, you know, it's sort of an interesting other conversation for us to help bring up, which is what should you expect from sex, you know? And how do you, because I think in a lot of cases, it's, it's much more of a confidence issue. It's a feeling comfortable and, uh, and confident in asking for what you want. Um, and, and so how do we make that a common conversation? And it was amazing. I'll tell you one brief story because this was fascinating. Uh, we put a picture. So the way we instituted this conversation, we had a picture uh, with a woman who has her fingertips in the waistband of her pants, just slightly alluding to this conversation. And it says, I come first on the front of it. And we post, we, it was on the, inside like a full page in the New York Times, we did billboards with it. And we posted on the side of our building at our office. And one fellow walked by. And he was a big guy, like he, he had to been like six, five, super tall. 
um, he comes to the front door and he's like, who's the owner of this building? And I was like, or, you know, who runs this business? And uh, my whole team, like, they're like, oh my gosh, Ashley, there's somebody outside for you. And I'm like, okay. And so I go out there and I talk to him and he's like towering over me. And he's just yelling, how am I going to explain this to my kid? How am I, you know, you're putting a picture of inappropriate stuff. on." And I just looked at him and I went, well, I'm a mother, you know, and, and I hear you and I'm a woman. And I understand that I understand your feeling of protectiveness for your kids. And, and I can understand that. I was like, but you know, what's interesting is that you walk by probably on the daily, a picture of a woman, you know, a Victoria's Secret ad, a woman, I don't show any breasts in that picture. I don't show any, there's no, there's no nudity. There's a illusion only because her fingertips are in the top of her waistband. Something that if your child is not aware of sexuality yet, they're going to have zero clue what that means. But if they are, and this is what I said to him, because he was, you know, what if they know? I'm like, if they are, then I'm giving you the perfect opportunity to have a different kind of conversation with your kid about what does it mean to have safe sex? Sure, but also to enjoy sex and that it should be something pleasurable. And maybe your daughter can be part of the percentage that isn't going to wait 10 years to tell somebody that she's in pain, you know, because she doesn't know that she should feel comfortable telling somebody that that doesn't feel right. And anyway, it was awesome. It was a very long conversation. And it started with him yelling at me and it ended with him saying, I hope my daughters like you. And I was like, <laughs> sure, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people that saw those ads that don't feel that way. But it was my hope, you know, when I had that conversation with him that, uh, that maybe it might spin something that we're really accustomed to looking at through one set of, of eyes and give us a whole new perspective on it. And um, at least with that one guy, I get to have that conversation. And I thought, oh, well, you know, if it all, if it ends up that we do all this and just, And I had just that one awesome, meaningful conversation that did feel pretty worth it. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. And if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? Well, that's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your contact list, send memorable emails, automate key messages and more. Way, way more. Whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. With SEMPRO Online from Pitney Bowes, you can simply print postage stamps and shipping labels, even when working remotely. For as low as $4.99 a month, you'll get access to special discounts and save up to 40% off USPS Priority Mail. Plus, for being an e-commerce master plan listener, you'll receive a free 30-day trial to get started and a free £10 scale to ensure that you never overpay. So you can calculate the exact postage online, print from your PC and avoid trips to the post office. Go to pb.com forward slash masterplan to access this special offer for a free 30-day trial plus a free £10 scale to get started. That's pb.com slash m-a-s-t-e-r-p-l-a-n to experience savings in your shipping costs with a free trial of SEMPRO Online from Pitney Bowes. It's time for the Top Tips Round. 
Okay, we're going from the the big impact on the world of of your campaign into the top tip section where you're going to have an impact on our listeners. Um, so we're going to do some some four quick questions um, for some really really simple ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, Ash, are you ready for these? I hope so. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Ooh. Um, I like Insanely Simple, which is sort of a Jobs, a Steve Jobs oriented book, but I do like it from a marketing perspective. I think that it's really hard, especially if you enjoy marketing and the psychology behind it, to not get drawn into super fancy, complicated marketing campaigns and directions. And it really talks about the importance of simplicity and the difficulty of it, of distilling your offering down to just that one thing that resonates most with people. Um, and they have some really nice frameworks for, for how he managed to do it that I think are really directly applicable to most businesses. Nice. I think it's the first time we've had that one recommended. So that's cool. Um, the traffic top tip, which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Other than massive billboards on the side of your building. Yeah, of right. I, <laughs> you know, this is the least innovative one, but I would be remiss in not just saying Facebook and Instagram have been huge drivers for our business. The cost to acquire might be going up over time. Uh, I have seen that myself, but it's still one of the best and most measurable. And it's hard for me to really strongly advocate for another one. Um, if we're talking about the top tips, uh, I would say influencer and billboards, those kind of things, which I enjoy more. I think they're fun. Uh, they're just, they're almost like hard to justify at an early stage of the business, particularly influencer if you have a high cost of goods, which I always did. So I couldn't prioritize that. But they've been wonderful for building out my top of funnel advertising as the business has grown. Okay. And the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? We love Asana. It's been a great way to organize the various different priorities and timelines for our team. I'm an Asana user too, so I'll second that one. <laughs> um, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? I would say uh, really understanding your customer I think there's a tendency to try to go broad to make everybody your customer. And actually, the more specific you are, the more deeply you can resonate and the more likely you are to be able to get repeat and, and referral business, which I think is the organic and often underrated way of growing a business over time. Another very good answer. Thank you, Ashley. Um, it's been very cool hanging out with you. Before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Sure. Um, okay. So Lunya, L-U-N-Y-A dot co and Lago, L-A-H-G-O dot co are both of our websites. Um, Lunya on Instagram, Lago on Instagram. And if you want to follow me and my journey, it's Ashley double underscore Merrill spelled M-E-R-R-I-L-L. Marvellous. Well, Ashley, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me.
Great to uh, to chat there to someone who has such a clear idea of their business and the direction it's going in, and to learn some of the le- from the, some of the things she's tested and learned over the last couple of years. I think that that clarity of the the mission and what they're advising the customers to do, and then how they can leverage that for those huge messages is kind of cool as well. You can get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips, links, and details of related episodes at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. And if you're enjoying the e-commerce masterplan podcast, please do share it with your e-commerce friends over Twitter, over Facebook, TikTok, if you know what that is. Um, I don't mind, but it'd be great to get this into the ears of ever more e-commerce people. I hope you're having a great week. Keep optimizing. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce masterplan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.